Welcome to the Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank. Uh, last week we started on uh, the story of the euro where we talked about the history of the euro and the, the rationale behind it, why it came to be. And we, we got cut off at the most exciting part, which was... When was exciting, wasn't it? It was, when things started going wrong. And that's what we'll be talking about this week. We'll be talking about the sovereign debt crisis, the... When when things really started to go wrong and, and politicians and investors got really, really scared. And we've got two experts who you heard from last week, if you're one of our subscribers, which you should be. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, all those other places. Uh, Laurent Morin, who's a senior economist at the European Investment Bank and worked at the European Central Bank before coming here and did a PhD on the euro well, he's the right guy for this. But also the right guy is Aldo Romani, who works in the Euro division of the capital markets part of the European Investment Bank. You may remember him from the Green Bonds episode we did towards the end of uh, last year. Go back and listen to it. If you haven't, uh, it's a fantastic one, and it'll make you feel good about the future of the Earth. Today, I hope we're going to make you feel good about the future of the Euro. try to describe what's the matter with euro and what I mean is uh, uh, ever since the sovereign crisis there's been a lot of discussion about whether the euro can survive without the single debt uh, idea whether the euros can survive if, if one country had to if one country uh, left the eurozone there's been a lot of discussion saying that unlike the US dollar uh, the, the political setup of the EU is still so fragmented that the euro is in the long term not sustainable. Can we try to explain what's the challenge here? What, what's what's okay. the risk? Because when I'm listening to you, it just all sounds so great. It just no. sounds so wonderful that, that we have the euro, we don't need to change money anymore. I, th I think it comes back to the discussion we had earlier about the US. It took them 30, 40 years to create a dollar union within the same country. So the euro will be probably, it will take a lot of time and we are not done with it yet. And we realize since the crisis that there are progress or changes or new novelties to bring to the monetary union. So the euro is a long process. It, uh, maybe some politicians were sleeping on it after the inception of the common currency in 1999. And um, the crisis let them or let us realize that it was an unfinished process which had to be improved, strengthened further. Okay, so politicians work on it, European institutions work on it now, but it's true that prior to the crisis, maybe during 10 years, uh, some, uh, some parts were not considered which should have been considered at that time. But it's a learning process, it's an ongoing process. So you learn from your mistakes and then you try to improve, to prevent the next crisis, to strengthen the zone. And I think some progress have already been made in this regard, like the creation of the banking union, which has to be... Uh, pretty much emphasized because it's a major uh, setup. The ongoing discussions on the capital market union, and probably it will take many years again to to really fine tune and finish the euro. 
As we're telling the story of the Euro, let's go to one of the most exciting moments in the history of the Euro, Aldo, the sovereign debt crisis. Why did it happen? And what happened to the Euro? Well, just to, <clears throat> you know, in a nutshell, it was a crisis uh, of confidence in uh, the future of uh, the capacity of European states to address jointly um, the issues that are related to high levels of debt in some uh, of the participating countries. This is uh, a very important uh, issue because, as we said, the confidence that was brought about by monetary union had lowered interest rates below the level, a level commensurate with the level of debt in some individual countries. Now, if capital markets uh, lose confidence um, with regard to the convergence process and the capacity of Europe to jointly face this uh, issue, they start, of course, speculating in the opposite direction. So all of a sudden, you know, in 2009-2010, you could see um, that a sudden widening of uh, the spreads, for example, certain countries like Greece, uh, in, uh, and, and, and this uh, uh, raised the question as to whether the euro would be indeed sustainable. Maybe maybe it's helpful to to really to really break it down what exactly happens because and correct me if I'm wrong. Well, in in my understanding, if one country is uh, possibly unable to pay back its debt, then uh, then the value of that currency would go down, right? And that's what that's what makes it a problem for all of the countries in the Eurozone because they all rely on that currency and the value for all those currencies would go down. So it would impact also the countries who are fully capable of repaying their debt. Is that that's the gist of okay. the problem. So right? maybe to rephrase it's not the crisis of Euro, it's a sovereign debt crisis. And in fact you have a point what 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 people what investors realized in 2011 or 2010 at the occasion of the Greek crisis and then after the Portuguese Irish Spanish crisis is that there there is no lender of last resort in the in the monetary union so historically a sovereign could outside of the monetary union you can default on your public debt you can monetize your public debt or you can let your currency depreciate to pay back with a cheaper currency um, the debt that you have issued on non-local, non non-residents. At the occasion of the sovereign debt crisis, worldwide investors realized that in fact there, was not, there were no such mechanism within the European Monetary Union. Mm -hmm. So no possibility to depreciate, no possibility to to default and no possibility to refinance the public debt at the central bank. And this is why they start, investors start stopping buying sovereign debt of some countries and also selling the debt of these countries. Now I think politicians are working. The VSM was created, the European Stability Mechanism was created during the crisis precisely to support, to provide financial support to the sovereign in in a stress situation, the VSM is there. There are ongoing discussions about its expansion into a European Monetary Fund with uh, maybe more more power. 
But this was also a creation of the crisis that I didn't mention when I was speaking about the banking union, but it's something which was set up as, as a reaction to the crisis. But what is also to be reminded that investors had not realized this before the sovereign debt crisis. So they were, they were not seeing this problem. So how come policymakers could have seen it if investors had not seen it? There are economists who were seeing this before the euro, but they were pretty much downplayed across the, across the world. So again, to come back to this idea about learning by doing, it's a construction, it's a process into cons in construction. So that sovereign debt crisis, though, Aldo, for a while, uh, people were talking about Grexit, that Greece would have to leave the euro. Uh, what, how was that resolved in the end? Or well, the fact is, I would like to add also something uh, to, to, to make what we just said uh, even clearer. You have a contagion effect with regard to confidence. We have experienced it a number of times in the history of money and the history of, of capital markets. One problem is given by the fact that one important component in the capacity of states to repay their debt is the level of the interest rate they have to pay on that debt vis-a-vis -vis the growth rate that they are capable of developing. If you have interest rate go up, then all of a sudden the debt becomes not sustainable and this becomes apparent to everybody. Now, given the level of debt that are currently uh, present uh, everywhere, even in, the country, <laughs> in a country like Germany that is, uh, that is the anchor of the whole system, you have an issue that even if you have a higher level of growth, it, takes, it will take many decades before you can get you know, to uh, a balancing out of this, of this problem. And this has happened before. If you look at, uh, for example, uh, England uh, in, the post, uh, in, the, in the situation it had in the post-Napoleonic wars, uh, which was a level of uh, debt uh, to GDP ratio of around 200%, it took them 100 years to get back to 30%. So this gives you an idea of the balance between the rapidity with which capital markets can basically force a state into default if the credibility is not there at the level of macroeconomic policies, at the level of cooperation with other states uh, to form a stronger front vis-a-vis uh, -vis these, uh, these attacks. And uh, so the psychology of uh, markets and the interaction between uh, the financial dimension of markets and the uh, real dimension of markets are crucial in determining the odds of the situation. And this is the reason why all the moves that Europe has been able to develop, both in terms of lowering green interest rates, side of, uh, and other moves that have been taken on, a structural, uh, on, on the structural side, like the creation of ESM, the development of uh, um, you know, a, a better uh, and, and, and more integrated uh, banking uh, supervision uh, system, uh, they have stabilized expectations and taken them back to a situation of relative calm in the past Yes, but just to give you an idea also with regard to the EIB that can be taken as a litmus of uh, this phenomenon, the EIB is owned by the member states of the European Union. So not only by Germany, but also by Italy, Greece, and so on and so forth. So what happened at the, at the end of uh, uh, 2008? Well, the markets were coming to us and saying, you will be crowded out 
you yourself will be crowded out uh, by uh, the tsunami of uh, public issuance that is coming to counter the crisis. Yeah? Mm. Um, and uh, our spreads vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the reference uh, government and uh, rates and, and swap market widened enormously in the first part of uh, uh, 2009. And we had to basically counter this uh, self-fulfilling, this, this, this move, in order to avoid a self-fulfilling prophecy. So we were able to do so, and in fact, we again developed uh, initiatives, uh, diversifying and enlarging, for example, the number of our counterparts in the second part of 2009, developing a new strategy of uh, uh, issuance that has brought new advantages to the bank. But we had this phenomenon, and again, at the end of 2011, when the crisis reached uh, its peak, and we were forced to pay, uh, uh, you know, a much higher level of uh, interest um, in spread terms, uh, despite the countering action of, uh, of the ECB, than we would have otherwise. Yeah. Now, the resilience is of the system is what we should highlight here, and at the same time, the monitoring that this experience has produced. You cannot. Uh, address structural issues by simply conjunctural initiatives crisis, forever. Crisis needs to happen, actually. Crisis needs to happen to make people recognize, but also to steer political forces. And, uh, and this is the, the big challenge that you have uh, now, because the situation has come, but the issues are still there and need to be addressed in a structural manner, which is, of course, difficult if you have you know, a number of issues that uh, intertwine and are not just linked to the currency itself. The currency is just a veil, it's just a, you know, a, a expression, as we said at the beginning, of that underlying infrastructure that needs to be developed for them. It seems like a lot of positive developments have happened after the sovereign crisis, but uh, this, uh, this learning point of, uh, of moving towards uh, the the more harmonized or single debt and having more control over what uh, what the different governments, how much the different governments are taking on debt, that's still um, a long way, long ways away, right? Well, if, no, it's not, currently you don't have any more, uh, you, most of the European countries have a public deficit of below 3%, which is uh, one of the targets. So I don't think it's fair to say that they have, the the public spending has come down, deficit have come down. Now you want to do more. I don't know where you stop, but there is the feeling that more has to be done in part of Europe to adjust public finance. But there is also the the observation that a lot has already been done. There's 28 countries in the European Union. There are 19 that use the euro. What about the others? Why are they not using it? Or why would they not want to be in it? Let's leave Britain aside because they obviously them. have other things going on there. But why, why didn't they want to be in it? Well, I think anyway, you don't pay the price for the option of uh, waiting. So you can always wait and change your mind later. Unless you commit in advance to join at a certain point. So you, it's a free option. So you can wait and see what happens and join whatever it suits you. Then I think there is a bit of uh, you need to have political support. Remember that at the beginning, the Maastricht Treaty, for example, in France, my country, it was not so popular. So at the end, the, the yes won, but by a very small margin. So in this country, there are possibly the political support. The, Popular support towards the euro is not strong enough so that politicians could uh, get involved into, uh, into joining the euro. But this will come, this may come. This, uh, 
This already, I think, two thirds of the even more than two. If you exclude the England, a, a large, very large share of the European Union is around the monetary union. The trade intensity within the zone is very is very much stronger, and there is a feeling that you have to belong to it because it's where things happen. So there are countries which apply to it, countries which wait. But my feeling is that in the long term. They will all want to be part of it. This is a dictionary of finance, so I'd just like to get two terms that you brought up, Laurent, and just to, to define them very briefly for as, as they seem to be quite central to the future of the euro. Um, you mentioned banking union and capital markets union. Yeah. What's the banking union? Okay, so previously, prior to the setup of the banking unions, each bank in the European Union and euro area was supervised at the local level in the home country. So French bank, even large French bank, was supervised by the French uh, Autorité uh, des Marchés in France, uh, ACPR in France. Now, the supervision of this bank is done centralized at the ECB in Frankfurt. So in a way, it comes back to the point about internalizing. When you do this, you internalize the risk, the spillovers that the bank removes the deposits from one part of the zone to another, that mm -hmm. the bank uh, can, uh, can have, be able to optimize the supervisory failures. So you centralize. So for the big, the largest euro area banks and some of the small ones, depending on the country, the supervision is done at the level of the monetary union in Frankfurt by the ECB. And the capital markets union is the so same thing. So the capital thing. market union is a, is a political agenda to foster exchange of capital, guarantee the same level playing field for investors across Europe. So it's very legal, very institutional, but you have to harmonize many, com many facets of the regulation to be sure that you foster market activity in corporate debt issuance, banking debt issuance, equity issuance, because we know that it's the way we should move in Europe. We have, there is a feeling that Europe is under size in terms of financial markets, too much bank dependent. We have seen during the crisis that the cost of bank dependency could be huge. There is the feeling that the, uh, the allocation of savings in, in Europe can be improved drastically by bringing um, savings from countries which have excess savings to countries which have investment opportunities. And this is the current situation compared to this optimum is uh, not yet there. Why? Because you have to, we have several languages, several legal practices. Uh, it's not so easy to have a single authority to monitor the market. So it's all these uh, problems are tackled within the umbrella of the capital market union, which is also a very long process. A long process. This was a very long story, but a great story, a very exciting one. And we're looking forward to the extension of the story of the euro. As you mentioned, it took a long time in, uh, with the Fed in, uh, in the United States. We'll check back with you guys on this podcast in about 20 years' time. <laughs> yeah. um, if, you, if you, the listeners, uh, want to be able to get that episode straight to your device in 20 years' time, you should subscribe now. Uh, we always ask our listeners to subscribe. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you listen, and then you'll get Laurent and Aldo in 20 years' time telling you the latest about this. And remember, you are part of what we will see in 20 years' time because adventure is uh, something that you create yourself by 
doing the right thing going forward. There is no free lunch for anybody in this regard. A little more Italian philosophy there from Aldo Romani. Aldo and Laurent Morin, thank you so thank much you. for being on Addictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank. You can be in touch with us, by the way, on Twitter. I'm at EIB Matt, E-I-B-M-A-T-T. And I'm at Dollar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. And you can uh, drop us a note and let us know which was your favorite currency before the euro. Uh, you were the Estonian krone? Estonian krone, yes, that was, that was mine, yeah. Really, really. I like the, uh, the Vatican lira myself. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not even Catholic. Have they switched over? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, they're on board. Oh. Okay, so thank you. We'll Join. see you next week.